Hi, this is Hal Aaron Cohen, and welcome to Tales of the Road Warriors, my podcast. During the 80s, I bartended, that's the 1980s, by the way, I bartended at a rock club called the Blue Lagoon Saloon in Marina del Rey, California. I saw a lot of great bands during my time there. The Plimsolls, Etta James, the Moore Brothers, who were the backup band for Joe Cocker during his Mad Dogs and English Mentor, uh, Billy Vera and the Beaters, the Bus Boys, Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's celebrated her 21st birthday there to a virtual who's who of the 80s rock and roll elite. Yet one young lady stood out to me back then among all of those 80s pop rockers and hard rockers and R&B bands. I'm talking about Lisa Nemzo. Today on Tales of the Road Warriors! Lisa Nemzo. She did this acoustic guitar solo during a song called Try and Run, in which she used harmonics to create an exciting instrumental break before going back into the final chorus. I was serving drinks to a thirsty audience, business as usual, when she broke into that amazing solo. I stopped waiting on customers and just watched with my mouth open like everybody else who became an instant fan that night. Harmonics are created by lightly touching the string and then pulling away as you pluck or strum. A lot of us use them as an accent, but I had never seen anyone take it and run with it like that before, so that became her signature. Lisa has toured Europe and the U.S. in several incarnations. Uh, read her bio on the uh, show notes. You'll get an idea of the full scope of this talented lady. In her other life, Lisa works as a healer in polarity therapy, and she works to raise money for the American Polarity Therapy Association. She is also an activist, and she works with war veterans to make sure they are not forgotten and receive the benefits and treatment they truly deserve. Some folks talk about it. Lisa Nemzo is a doer. For a recap of some of the episode, go to the show notes page at talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash lisa hyphen Nemzo or Lisa-Nemzo, where you'll also find links to photos, videos, and other artists and resources mentioned during the course of our conversation. And now, our conversation. Hi, Lisa Nemzo. Hi, Hal. (laughs) Nice nice to hear your voice again. (laughs) I miss Los Angeles. Miss you guys. Oh, and I miss the East Coast, but I'm coming back soon, June, so that'll be fun. But you're not moving back, you're just coming back for a visit, right? Yeah, I'm coming back for a conference in my other world, um, in the healing arts world, um, and then uh, and visiting my family who's in Rhode Island and Massachusetts and a bunch of my high school friends that are also there as well. And a lot of people who live in Florida and the Carolinas come up for the summer, and I'm just, my week is my timing is good because a lot of my friends are going to be up in the, on the island. So I'll be able to see everybody and go to the beach and ride a couple of waves. <clears throat> yeah. Second, yeah. You know that I, I, I second beach. Cause you're into surfing, right? I'm into body surfing. Oh, okay. Did you start on the East coast or the West coast? East coast. I was brought up in Newport, Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Because so the, the shore, the beaches near us are Atlantic city. And the, the the waves are like almost non-existent. It's it's like walking into bathwater. 
I, you know, the place that I have never gone in New Jersey that I really, I still really want to go see and, and ride some waves is Cape May. I've had a fascination with that for a long time. And when I come back east, I've got so many people to see and stuff to do. And I never, I never just get to explore anything. You know? Cape May is beautiful. But that's one place. Yeah, I play a lot of weddings and stuff down there because I play the ukulele and they hire me to play like uh, over the rainbow out on the beach under the hoopa. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's good. (laughs) Oh, well, I want to go because I've seen the surf there and it looks just looks good. Yeah. So I'm a body surfer. So I body surf East Coast style, which means no board and head down and arms in front of you like a rocket, like a bullet, you know, in the in the waves and then. West Coast, we use boogie boards because the waves are larger, but I still do East Coast body surfing. But then you're up out of the water and stuff. So it's it's all fun. It's all really good. But um, I don't know what the surf is going to be like. I mean, we were having such weird weather. It rained buckets yesterday, and it rained this morning, and it's been raining, and now it's windy. So we're just getting – look, it's usually May gray, June gloom, and then July it turns hotter than hell, and – Everybody prays for a break. Right. I just we're I don't all, like the heat. We're already experiencing the heat here right now. Actually, it's going to go, going up to about eighty four. Wow! And it's it's humid. So I'm, when it's eighty four here with the humidity, it feels like nine. Yeah, it's like a hundred and four. I know. Yeah. I, like I don't miss that. But um, as long as I'm on the beach, I think I'm usually pretty good. But you know, you don't live on the beach, so you know, you have to live. And we don't have like any kind of AC of any kind. You know, I once called up and just said, it's really hot in here. I didn't think it was going to be so hot in here. Call me, uh, not maintenance, but the resident services here. And they said, open a window. (laughs) I was like, where's the AC? And they were like, "Uh, open a window. I was like, oh. Oh, I can't go a day without air. That's the first, my first trip is like to Costco or Sears or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have any AC here. It's going to be interesting. So, um, who's Lisa Nemzo? What's, what's your background? Um, <laughs> like, did you grow up in a musical family and take violin lessons? Or like... My family is musical. My father played every instrument and could pick it up without any kind of training whatsoever and play it really beautifully. Like, he played French horn, trumpet, cello, uh, guitar, piano, baritone, uh, horn. That that was um, mine in orchestra. They assigned me that. I wanted to play the trumpet. They gave me the baritone horn. Well, I got to play the trumpet, and and he had a coronet and a trumpet, and I that's what I played. My sister played clarinet, and um, yeah, I mean, so he was that was him, and he he actually wrote music also, and um, I found a ream of his compositions in the cellar look at hand, hand wrote, wrote the notes on, on the yeah. uh, staff paper yeah on a staff yep and he wrote lyrics of course the, the what i'm talking about was much later on in my in his life when i found that ream of poetry and lyrics and written out music and i just i came upstairs and i just said with the stuff in my hands and i said what is this he said oh you found it he said oh that's stuff that i've written and I just, how can I not know this about you? Wow. How old were you when this took place? Uh, probably in my 30s. Oh, wow. You went all this time and, and had this 
great secret. Yeah. I mean, and I just said, these are good, because I got to read music. I said, these are good poems and lyrics and really good. He said, thank you. And that was it. It was just matter of fact, like he wasn't going to get into any of it. And so he said, who do you think wrote all the melodies you sang in synagogue? I said, I don't know. I just figured they were the traditional. He goes, no, I wrote them all. So then I found the reams of paper with the kiddush and all. Yeah, I would have just assumed that it came with the synagogue, you know, that they were just already sitting there in the seats in the books. He wrote, he rewrote everything. And that's what we grew up singing. Crazy. I mean, how, anyway, it was a complete disconnect for me. I was just like, holy crap, this is also who you are. Anyway, so my mom was an actress and a singer, a leading actress and a singer. So she was involved in theater and musical theater all the time. And she had a beautiful voice. And my father also sang in the Swanhurst Chorale. So he sang as a tenor. So, yeah, musical family, big time. So did you do any of that yourself, like like in elementary school? Were you like in the school play or the beauty pageant or the talent show? I was in a school play. I was playing playing Mary of Joseph and Mary as a little Jewish girl. <laughs> I, there's, and I landed in the front page of the of the Newport Daily News. And I don't know what my father thought of that because he was, he wasn't like heavily religious or anything, but I was playing, you know, Jesus's mother. <laughs> I had Jesus in my arms. Would you like some fried was, matzo, honey? <laughs> Anyway, I was, it was so funny, but that, that's sort of, you know, that's sort of how we started. And, and, um, and I started piano at four piano lessons and started writing melodies and everything else almost right away. But then he brought home a ukulele and showed me two chords on it and I never put it down. Uh And then there was the guitar at seven and then I never put that down. I never had a lesson. Never had a guitar lesson in my life. Had a lot of piano lessons. But I was absolutely obsessed with the guitar. And he brought home a K guitar, which had those sort of like those S holes in it. So it was a hollow body. And it was bigger than me. And so all you could see was my arm over it and my two eyes. That's about it. (laughs) Comical. And I got into it. I got I got into it big time. It was in your blood, right? Nobody ever had to force you a day of your life to to sit down and practice. You just with a guitar, yes. Yeah. With the piano, not so much. I loved piano, but I didn't love the teacher that I had, and I didn't love having to practice it. I don't know. I mean, I could go up to the attic and disappear. In audio wise, I had privacy, and with the with the piano, we had a music room, and it was down in the you know, right next to the living room. So it wasn't, I don't know, we had a door and everything. I don't know what the hell was my problem. But anyway, I I have a different relationship to the piano. Piano is a writing instrument for me. I write a lot and then transfer it onto the guitar. Sometimes I write on the guitar, but most of the time I write on the keyboard and then it goes over to the guitar unless it's really like a guitar-oriented song. And my theory is I don't know one, well, that's not true. I don't know many notes on the guitar at all. I, if you, if I picked a random string and put my finger down and you said, what note is that? I would have no idea. Like playing. when you started writing or playing covers, like who were you, who were you doing? Um, birds, um, Buffalo Springfield, Beatles. I was listening to the radio and 
playing, learning by ear and transferring it over to my guitar. I was learning everything that I could hear on the radio. I was playing on my guitar and play and singing. And um, I didn't have that with the piano. The piano still makes me nervous to play in front of people. I don't know why. No, I can so, relate. I was I was always better on the guitar than the piano. Did you um, get volunteered to entertain the relatives at family get-togethers? No, they were sort of forcing it on me. Come on, do it, sing. <laughs> I never wanted to do that. But I did sing for the PTA when I was around nine. In Harper Valley? <laughs> that was bad, I'm sorry. No, Newport, Rhode Island. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my early start. And then I got in. I mean, I was... By 10, I knew that this was my path. So then jumping uh, ahead, when, when did you decide to go to um, California and you know, be a star? And um, I was in school in Salt Lake City. Um, the, pro- the jazz program got kicked out of the University of Utah because it was too radical for them. And so Westminster College got a hold of the program, and I went to that program. So I was in college. From, I first went to the Conservatory of Sydney, Conservatory of Music in Sydney, Australia for two years. Then when I got back to the States, I enrolled and got into Westminster. And from there, we took a, a road trip with the big jazz band and me as the lead singer for the jazz band. And that's where I met Gina Kronstadt, violinist, who plays on all the, you know, American Idol shows and boy, the voice and all that stuff still does. And then um, Rotombro, Mary Lee Tyson, those two were in the electric string section of this jazz ensemble. And that's how I met them in college. And um, so we went to Dante's, a jazz club in Los Angeles, in North Hollywood. And we took a bus, all of us, all the way down to, um, with Lad McIntosh as our, as our band leader and director. He's a famous arranger well-known arranger and so we uh, we played Dante's and somebody told me that there was a Pacific Coast Berkeley even though it was in LA but it was a Berkeley Coast like vocal contest or something for jazz and I enrolled in that and I won and Pat Williams was a judge Marilyn Jackson was a judge Chuck Terry or somebody Terry who's a trumpet player Clark Terry, I think is his name. Anyway, they were the judges and I won and they all told me to go to LA, that that was where the jazz was happening on the West Coast. And I was like, really? Anyway, so I went, I I moved to LA when I was done with college, which, you know, I did. And there was very little jazz going on. Dante's and the horn. I don't know. It was not that lively a scene. And I didn't really, I wrote jazz, but it wasn't sort of my it wasn't my my thing was my guitar my relationship to my guitar and I didn't write jazz on the guitar I wrote it on the keyboard so there was sort of a disconnect for me and I ended up in a in a demo session over at ABC Dunhill and with Mike Botts from Bread and Steve Pinkston who I met on that date on bass play uh, the bass player with my songs and somebody had heard me play and said you should come down there and let's demo some of these songs and I got signed to my first writer's deal, like within the first few months of being in L.A. And then I met Steve, who started being in my trio with the cellist, Mary Lee Tyson, Rotombra. And, and that just started off my whole thing in L.A. What year was that? That's how I got to L.A. 
74. No, I got here in 74, but I didn't start with Steve and everybody else and ABC Dunhill till probably 76, 75. Oh, okay, because now that you mention it, when I think when I first saw you at the Blue Lagoon Saloon when I was bartending there, I think you had a cellist. Uh, still, you were still. Oh, I'm sure with. I did. Oh yeah, me and Steve and we we played all the way through up until 1980. Oh, okay, because so, that's I think know. that's why you stood out to me because you know they had so many really, like really loud bands, and um, then you come in with a with, with a cello and I'm like, wow, this, this should be interesting. You know? Yeah, we were very we were way ahead of our time, but it you know we were just out of sync time wise. It wasn't the right time for two women and a guy to really sort of head anything. There was nothing like that going on anywhere. And it, and there wouldn't be until Heart came out and they were much more rock. Um, but really, it, it would take a decade before anything really started to happen. I was going to ask you about that. The, uh, your contemporaries at the time, was that was it Heart or Joan Jett or who, who was like, who were you compared to or tried to emulate at the time? I have always been compared to Heart. And um, at one point when I was doing my 80s thing, I was compared to Annie Lennox. And then I was compared to um, never Joan Jett. I'm, I'm, and it, Melissa Etheridge sort of came to my shows. And then she ended up doing her thing and, do, you know, taking off. But she was, we're, we're not similar. There's no, I don't find anything similar in our music at all. You had like that Euro edge to your, your um Eventually. Maybe because you, know. you spent so much time there. Yeah. I mean, it was just sort of, I was writing for the times, you know, whatever was asked for. I'm really much more of a, I'm much, I've always been much more of a songwriter than a performer. I love to perform because it's fun and everything else. But if I had to choose between two things, writer would have won out from day one. And um, it's not like I like the behind the scenes kind of thing so much, but, but I just, that's just where my, you know, my real center is, is in the writing and the production of things. I love the studio. I've learned to love the studio. So, you Well, know. it's two different worlds. And I, I know f- for me, it is. Uh, uh, when I get up on a stage, I'm a different person, like another personality takes over. I'm very shy and introverted until I get on stage. And then the nerves go away after, like, I strum the first chord. I'm good. You find that? Yeah, I mean, I like um, the bigger the venue. Like, I was in, when I was touring with larger circumstances, like with Christopher Cross or Cliff Richard, Hall & Oates, those kinds of people, we'd be doing coliseums for ten to 13,000 people a night. And I found that I was much more comfortable doing those arenas and I got standing ovations. It wasn't like I was like, like pushed aside like some sort of wallflower. I was able to really come out of my shell at that point and really, you know, do the harmonic solos and do those kinds of things and captivate an audience that never heard of me. I said this um, before that one of the weirdest things in the timing of the way that everything was evolving is I was out on the road touring for at least 10 years steadily, at least with no product. That's insane. So you weren't even selling any any CDs or anything? You're just doing the gigs? I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything to sell. So that was really, um, that was really a little crazy, but I got a lot of experience, but I didn't, 
you know, I didn't make the kind of money I should have made, but there wasn't any way to independently make and market a CD like there is now or, or vinyl. Now you can make it yourself and you can take it out on the road and you can sell it in your Merc, you know, what, however you're going to do it. But back then it was tied to a record company and a record label. And, you know, my stuff was all over in Germany or Australia or Japan or Canada somewhere, but not in the United States. So I was touring without, for a long time without a product, pretty nutty, 10 years with no product, but the timing wasn't right. And it was, there wasn't an option to do that. And by the time all that option changed and you could do it, I did do it with restless soul for a, for a, a period of time, but it was, you know, I was really sort of making a, a long, arduous transition out of touring every minute into being in the studio and producing more and songwriting even more and working with other people. And I started to do that. I think Mark Platt really started me out. He goes, you produce your own records. Why can't you produce my record? I'm like, produce your record. Are you nuts? And he goes, no, you would be a good producer. I want you to produce my record. So I just, that was my first try. And I just, loved it sure naturally he and i got along really great it was natural for me he was incredibly receptive and he had his own ideas and i was totally open to his ideas we worked really well together and we did um we've done i think three projects three cds two eps and one cd and i'm really proud of them and he sounds amazing on it on all all of them they what i love is that whoever i work with it, it sounds like them and that's what's that's the kind of producer that I'm I just like. cur- curious on, um, because I know Mark Platt sort of. I used to see him at Kulaks all the time and other places, but I never and I never even thought to ask him. I see the name Mark Platt in the credits of like movies. That's, that's a different Mark Platt, different right? Mark Platt. Okay, because I think he's in like in the Marvel yeah. universe and sphere film. Yeah, and film. Thanks for mm-hmm. settling that for me. So now the clubs back here, you were, did you play like the Troubadour and the Starwood, Whiskey, Roxy, uh, yep. Madame yes. Wong's? I, I played Madame Wong's West and Madame Wong's East. Oh, okay. I, I, I liked Madame Wong's. That's probably long yeah, gone. I liked right? it all. I opened up for the motels there. That was really good. Wow. Okay. So the times, all those times, you, you were still without product then? In the early 80s, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, okay. Well, let me just uh, get back to that. The Blue Lagoon, because I had mentioned it earlier. That was the first time I saw you, and I wanted to hit on that about the harmonics you mentioned earlier. Do you know who? Do you know who? Do you know who taught me those how to do those harmonics? No. Tom Rush. No kidding. Yep, he came to Newport, Rhode Island, where I'm from, and he he played at a place called Salt. It was a you know performance. Right. Place on Thames Street, downtown Newport. And I was really in love with him. Oh my God. Plus, I loved No Regrets, that song. And I watched him, you know, during that song. And at the very end, he ends with harmonics. And I thought, what is that? It's like every cell in my being lit up. And I went backstage right afterwards. You know, they didn't have, it wasn't so. You know, it wasn't the way it is now. You just go backstage and I introduced myself. I was six, I think I was 15 or 16. 
And I just shook his hand and I looked at him and I just said, "Can what was that thing that you did with the guitar that went bing? And he said, oh, those are harmonics. And he said, are you a musician? And I said, I am. I said, well, how did you make that sound? And he said, well, you have to, you have to put your hand on the fret, your finger on the fret, and then you have to hit the fret and the strings lightly at the same time you hit the strings. And then he, he pulled his guitar out and he showed me. I was like, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> and he had his, he was just, he didn't do it on stage, but backstage, he was just lazy and he put his finger over the fretboard. Right. He didn't do it that way. He put it under the fretboard from oh. underneath the neck when he was on stage, but backstage, he just went over the neck. Right. And that's what gave me the idea of going I, over I, the neck. Yeah, and so you picked that and, up. And I did. I picked it up, and I couldn't stop playing. I went nuts. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember who it was, but I learned her, about harmonics the same way. I saw somebody do it, and I asked them what, what that was, just the same way you did. And I, I bet most guitarists have a story similar to how they learn about harmonics, but I don't think anybody ever thought to take it to where you took it. And that's what's incredible that you just, well, I was just made that your really own. inspired me. And, and subsequently, I ended up opening, being an open act for him. When he came back, he goes, why don't you get that girl, that local girl, to you know, open the show? And I got on the show. And then I opened up for him at McCabe's here in L.A. several times and a couple of other shows. And I, I was mad for him. I just thought he <laughs> was like the most amazing and he was very good looking. And I just, of course, I, you know. Well, this may interest I you. I had no chance. Uh, Tom's going to be here at a free concert here in Pennsylvania, in King of Prussia, uh, on June 30th. <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> June 30th. I'm going to be back east <clears throat> June 19th through the probably the 30th. Oh, yeah, weird. It'll probably, it'll probably be the, d the day you leave. But I'll be in Rhode Island. I yeah, don't think no, I'll so be in you're, Pennsylvania. Yeah, you're, uh, yeah I already have it on my calendar. I just found out about it yesterday, so I'm going to go see Tom Rush. Yay. I used to, in my rare times of doing any kind of covers, No Regrets was in my roster. Anyway, um, that's my harmonic story, and I do have a, a song in the in the oven, I think, you know, it's a, it's a instrumental that is all, it's, it's all guitar harmonics and delays. And, um, you know, I just, I, it's a work in progress that I've had for a long time. Right. And I really need to finish it. And I, I just need to, you know, I've just moved. So I'm just setting up my studio. And once I get that done and I get my foot pedals out, I will start working on that. And I, plan to put out um a very different kind of C cd in the in the, in the next year and a half or so oh cool are you still unpacking your stuff from you just moved so so all your stuff still still trying to find it oh yeah i i'm like piled high with boxes and all kinds of stuff but i'm i'm uh i'm in a purge mode so i'm purging out a lot of things i don't need anymore but i'm designing the studio room so that it's you know quiet and I've got, a, I mean, the setup in the last four years, I mean, Pro Tools and Avid made such a huge change. Uh, they, you know, they don't have LE anymore. They don't have, you have to go into each, either HD or go into a, a M box or, or do, they phased out the interfaces. 
So none of the 003s work with Pro Tools 12. So I, I had to go I get that. another in interface. Yeah, well, it, they're all doing it. So it doesn't, you know, you can hate on one. They're all doing it pretty much. I don't so, even buy new computers mm -hmm. anymore, Lisa. I, I, I buy older refurbished ones so I can continue to work the way I want to work. Well, I'm, I have a 2012 and a half uh, MacBook Pro. I won't do any of the new ones. The new ones suck. They're yep. awful. Yeah, they I'm have on all kinds 2011 of MacBook Pro. Function right. I'm right there with you. So um, anyway, it I now have an Apollo Quad uh, Thunderbolt. So that's my, now, that's my new interface. And I have a learning curve, and I got to plug everything in and start, um, you know, practicing. Uh, and I'll get into it. And it'll probably take me about a month, and then I'll be up and running my Dreamwild Studios again. So I'm excited. Well, you should be. Well, let me ask you about mentors coming up in the ranks. Uh, like, who who were your mentors? Who who? There was one person, and I'm like, he was connected to Epic Records. And he was partnered up with Harriet Shock for years. He had some of the largest influence on me. He just, he sort of really taught me how to believe in myself in a different way. Um, I don't know anybody who's had an easy road. Anyway, he was a huge influence. Henry, Henry Louis was a huge influence for me. He was my producer. And... Um, He's also passed away, but he was Joni Mitchell's producer and Stephen Bishop's, and uh, he he did um, some great production and was really quite a support for me at a time where I really needed it. It was awesome. Cool. I think the person who I can say um, had the most influence on me was a woman that I met on a TV show in Sydney, Australia. When I first got there, I got a sh got to be on a variety show. I walked into the green room and there was a woman with a 12 string guitar, jet black hair, really bright, sparkly, twinkly brown eyes and large in stature. Her energy was large, but she was a small woman. And I just said, Oh, you have a 12 string. Cause I had a 12 string and it, I, I said the Yamaha, it was, incorrect i think she had a maton m-a-t-o-n which is australian and um or i don't even know what she had but we started talking about strings and we became very good friends and she and her husband became uh sort of you know they were older and they and i was like 18 when i first got there and <clears throat> anyway she sat me down at one point and said you're in a man's world and in the music world, you're really in a man's world. And you need to go to school and you need to learn the rudiments. You need to learn the theory. You need to know what you're, how to talk when you go into a studio. You need to know how to speak the language or you'll never be respected. So I want you to go down to the conservatory and register. You can just take class by class, but that's what you need to do. Get an education so that you can understand how to compose, how to compose for trumpet, how to arrange. If you never use it, you never use it, but you need to learn how to score. You need to learn how to do everything so that you, you're independent. Right. And I did it. I went to the Conservatory of Music at Sydney, and I studied for two years. Of course, they did not recognize that 
coming over to the States, which is too bad. And then I went to school for two years at Westminster College and I got my education and I did learn how to score and arrange for instruments. I learned, I did everything that she told me to do and it has helped me tremendously in my career. Wow. That's what I was looking for. How long were you in Australia? Uh, the first time I was in Australia for two years, I, my boyfriend and I went over there um, right after I graduated from high school, pretty much a couple months later. And we went over there and lived and I went to school and he was a teacher and he was also a lyricist and we wrote songs together. And then I lived over there. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best things I ever did for myself because it got me out of a bad situation in my family and it got me out of my sort of small-minded island mentality, sheltered greenness of the world and gave me an education. I went to, I went to work at, at a health food store and the guy that was that owned the health food store was a macrobiotic guy and he taught me all kinds of things about health and healthy eating and organic food and way ahead of everything and taught me how to keep myself healthy and it was incredible. I mean, I just, it was the best thing I ever did. Are you, ve are you vegan? 91, 2001. I was vegan for 37 years and then I started not to feel very good and ended up at a St. Patrick's Day party, and I ate some corned beef. I, I couldn't believe I did it. I hadn't touched meat in all those years. And I got a jolt of energy in my body, like I hadn't felt, like, I don't know. And I thought, I need to go see Eileen Poole, the nutritionist that used to be in, in uh, LA. She's passed on also. And um, she said, your adrenals are shot. She goes, no wonder you're feeling lousy. You have to eat beef, your blood type O. You have to have some animal protein. And I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. And she goes, you have to do that. Or you could be, you know, you could really, <clears throat> your health could be in danger. You know, it's not good. And I, I really wasn't feeling good. So I did it and I've been feeling better. And I, you know, I don't do it all the time, but I certainly eat grass fed and try and, minimize it as much as possible because I think that don't even get me started about how I feel about the way that animals are treated. But <clears throat> anyway, I've had to do it. My physical body needs it. My spiritual body doesn't want it. And I've had to, I've had to make peace with that. So I am no longer a vegan. <laughs> I was just watching the show called easy on Netflix. And uh, this girl falls for another girl at a club. They meet and, one turns out to be vegan, and she's trying to get her friend who's not one to become one, and she starts sending her links to videos of them, you know, killing pigs in the most horrific ways. And all. <laughs> it's very cute, though. And she, she, but she can't do it. She like she's she's just too addicted to meat, and she cheats, and she has a pizza with pepperoni on it, and she gets really sick. It's very cute. And her friend goes, "You don't have to be a vegan just because I'm one," you know. That's funny. Do any good road stories like from the, your travels in Germany or Europe? Something wild? Yeah, well, something wild. Let's not too, see. not too, doesn't have to be too wild. Just. Not too wild. Well, 
Um, Just to give people of today who didn't live those, you know, they're, they're making little YouTube videos in their room. They have no idea what they missed out on. Well, I, I would love to be able to tell my stories, but I need to, I need to be careful about dragging certain names into the mud. And, of course, it's the names that make it interesting. So I'm trying to think of a story that I can actually tell that won't be, you know, too exposing. But um, yeah, well, don't even say the I name. Can... Just say this guy or that gal or you know. Oh no, it's the name that matters. Oh great! <laughs> it's the name that matters. <laughs> I was on the road with Hall and Oates for quite a long time, and you know, on and off for two years, uh-huh. and that was amazing. I loved them. They're Philly and boys, they're... you know. They're homeboys here. I know they are, but I. Yeah, it was really great. And so, um, anyway, we had a we had a lot of really we had a lot of really fun times, and we would do two shows a night. So, anyway, I um, I will tell a story, and this is a telling story. But this guy is an idol of mine, and I love him dearly. And um, came out the other side of this, and he's still alive today because of the things that he was able to do. But so I was on the road. I, I, I would go down to the to the um, the Golden Bear. Yeah, and I opened up for BB King, and I opened up for David Lindley and uh, David Crosby, and just Tim Weisberg. I just there were a lot of a lot of people, you know, um, John Prime. I was on the road with on and off with David Crosby, and I was at the town hall in New York. And I finished my show with Try and Run, and I got a standing ovation. And I didn't, I never took like an encore because there's an opening act unless the, the main act says you can take one. Anyway, so David said, take it if you get it. And I took it. And then I came backstage and I was, somebody said, hey, David wants to see you. And I thought, I thought oh God. So I went in, he's sitting there with a few people and he said, what the hell was that? I said, you talking about my harmonic solo? And he goes, yeah. He says, that was incredible. And I said, thank you. Thank you. And he said, uh, sit down. So I sat down and he goes, I think this is going to be a good tour. You know, this is going to be good. <laughs> and he said, it's just a complimentary thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm, I'm not paying attention to what he's doing, but he's lighting a pipe and he's, you know, taking whatever it is into the pipe. And he said, um, Hey, we're, uh, freebasing here. And I said, what, what is that? And he told me what it was. And I, he says, uh, you want to join us? And I, and I looked at him and I thought I knew right in this moment, in this moment, in my, inside me, I knew if I say no, I'm off the tour. If I say yes, I'm going to die. And I looked at him, and I and I, this was real for me. And I said, "I'm so sorry." I said, "I can't." I said, "I'm too afraid." And I said, "I don't think that I would do well. I, I I'm too afraid." And he said, he looked at me and he said, "You're a smart girl." He said, "But I'm going to have to excuse you." I said, "Okay." I said, "I totally get it." And then I got up and I got and I left and went to my dressing room, packed up. And that was the end of my tour with him. I knew it. Yeah, well, I said yes to the fight, and I learned to regret it. So you are a smart girl. It was not a pipe of weed. No, I know what it was. Yeah. I was petrified. 
I ran, I ran into David in Santa Barbara at a show when he was CPK, you know, yeah. with his new band with his, with his son. And we went backstage. I went with Freebo and, and he and I talked privately for a couple of minutes. And he says, I barely remember it. He said, I'm so sorry. He, re- he remembered me. And All I right. said, yeah, I, I, I said, you know, I'm so glad that you are here. You've been such an inspiration to me. I was never angry with him. I knew what was going to happen. Sure. You know, you're either in or you're out. And I've never really, I couldn't do coke. I could, I just couldn't do it. I've tried. I have tried a few things, but I couldn't do it. I just, it was not my path. They used to say that coke, coke was nature's way of telling you you made too much money. <laughs> <laughs> the song Arlington. Right. Saying how powerful that, that is. And I know you worked on that with uh, Artie Calatrella. Yeah, and, I uh, did. The part of you that I admire, a lot of the songs you write, you write for a purpose, for a cause. You mentioned the Operation Warrior Wellness, the David Lynch Foundation, and uh, the Global Stress Initiative.org. Um, so I just wanted to draw attention to that. You know, as long as you're on the podcast, I want to make sure I give a shout out to some of your pet projects. Well, I, you know, uh, we raised enough money to to help the David Lynch Foundation, or at least support some part of it, for them to to give scholarships to veterans to learn transcendental meditation, because it really, really helps cut back, if not completely stop their PTSD. So. I was working with uh, a veteran and um, on a record, amazing blues guitar player. And he had some very types of psychotic episodes where, you know, being triggered off by sounds or whatever. And he started to meditate and it absolutely diminished them. So he wasn't patrolling at night and going around looking for things in the house and he, he just calmed down. And it's been incredibly helpful. So I know a lot of veterans who have learned TM and really swear that it has kept them, you know, from the the, the highs of the height of trauma of, you know, getting re-triggered. So, you know, the money that we raised helped, you know, give some semblance of scholarships so they didn't have to pay for it. And that's the kind of thing that matters. You know, um, I, I started a project last year uh, called One Kind Word based on my song, One Kind Word. And I just couldn't put the right team together to get the video done. But it really is something I want to do. I still want to do it. Now that I'm in L.A., maybe I'll be able to pull it together. I need a team of volunteers and people who will come in and do something fairly simple, but get that song out there because it's really a strong message about how kindness or one kind word can make all the difference in the world to a child, to a veteran, to, you know, all of our exchanges. And we're, boy, do we need that message right now because we are off. Yeah, I'll say. So well, let's talk about what you're doing now, the, uh, your work with the American Polarity Therapy Association. Yeah, I am a pre- I'm the president of that nonprofit organization, which is uh, filled with members who are polarity teachers and practitioners. It's a healing art that takes the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual bodies, and we work with our clients, 
you know, on the, on the table and also in some talk and some counseling exercise, some nutrition combination of things and really work at unwinding the, the origin of whatever the symptoms are that people bring in, whether it's physical or emotional. And it's, to me, it's the most powerful work that's out there, and we have just become accredited. First, alternative therapy to become accredited. We have a conference coming up on Long Island and in June, and we want non-polarity people and polarity people to come to it. And I'm doing a donation for the raising. I want to raise a thousand dollars, and we're raising close to four hundred already by June 11th because it really goes into our education fund, and we that's how we make money is through fundraising and donations. Now, so now, that's my campaign on Facebook. Well, give, give me a little little information about polarity therapy itself. I, I, I don't even completely know what that is, and I see the name John Chitty associated with it. Is he? Uh... Well, John Chitty just, um, he's been one of our, not elders like old person, but he's been one of the founding people, and he just passed away from prostate cancer two months ago. Oh. We lost him. And um, so we're going to have a tribute to him at the at the conference. But he's been one of the biggest um, supporters. So is Gary Strauss and John Beaulieu and um, a lot of other people. So um, <clears throat> Heather Principe, uh, there's just a lot of, and Cindy Rawlinson, a lot of people that are involved. You know, if somebody comes in to see me and they come in with um, a chronic lower back issue, most likely, or sciatica or something like that, I'm most likely going to find out that if they had an accident or whatever, something is misaligned on the earth plane, which means money, job, fear-based thinking, or lack of security. Something that, that's where, that's the part of the body that talk, that is connected to those things. So I start looking and asking questions try and figure out where the origin of this is. As we talk about it, I get them on the table and I work with them specifically to unwind the, probably the pelvis and the, and the hips area. Uh-huh. And that is connected to the jaw and it's connected to your temple bone, which is a hinge bone in your head. And it's also connected to your heels. So I have a whole holographic po- um, protocol to follow. And at the end of it, their sciatica or their lower back pain is greatly, if not completely gone and minimized. And, you know, the kind of things that happen from a session like that is they'll call me up and go, I just got a raise. I didn't even expect a raise. Or I've, I've seen 18 people this week instead of two. Like, huh. I don't know what happened. Or, or I just, I found the perfect house. And, and my uncle gave me a check and it's just like, I'm going to be able to buy it. I mean, it's like crazy connections like that. And it just integrates. It allows the person to integrate new thinking, repatterning of the brain, non-fear-based, the release of the trauma. And it's, it's a very deep and profound work. Is so there, is there a center like, here in Philadelphia? Because I think I have sciatica. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, there are... There are polarity practitioners all over. If you want me to find you some, just give me your zip code and I'll find you a couple of people. I'll vet them out and I'll let you know who you can go and see. Oh, okay. But anyway, that's polarity. And, and everybody's got their own brand. Not everybody works the same, but we all have the same 
nucleus of training, and we all have learned those skill sets, and then we perform them differently depending on the client that's sitting in front of us. But it's very profound work. I'm, I'm very passionate about it and got into it uh, just because I needed a second gig when I wasn't touring. And then when I got into it, I, I thought, oh, I actually am very interested Right. I was going to ask you about that. How it's, do you split the time between the writing, the touring, or playing, and the and the uh, polarity? <laughs> well, I used to split it between touring and polarity. Now I'm splitting it between you know working and seeing clients and doing workshops, which are not constant all the time, and the music projects that come in. And um, there's plenty of time for both. You know, when a project is upon me, a project, music project that takes precedent. And when I'm, you know, I've got a workshop that I'm teaching because I'm teaching master level practitioners what I, what I just explained to do that protocol right. and teaching them how to do it so they can go and do it. And um, so when that happens, then for that period of time, like for the conference, that's all I'm doing. And then I go back to the music. It's got, they both have major flexibility and I'm in, I'm sort of the boss of both worlds, so it works. If I need to negotiate my time, I just have to talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> when, when, when's the last time you performed live? Oh, how God. Um, I haven't performed live in a long time. I performed with Badass Boots up in Oakland. I sat in with that band on and off for a couple of years, and and then it was time for me to just release that and not do that um i haven't performed in I, I can't remember when i don't know i haven't done a show probably since 2016. i did one i did one show that lasted about a half an hour i mean i went i went about two years without playing when i got the cancer i, I actually had to cancel about eight thousand dollars worth of gigs that summer I haven't I haven't performed for real in, in a type of any kind of t type of setting probably since 2000 and to early 2014 hmm. and that's a long time yeah, yeah. I, I'm still playing guitar I'm still in the studio that I'm still writing but, but your I haven't even must done be much, gone much of that <laughs> oh my god I know, I, I actually was, I, I had an idea the other day and I pulled out my guitar and it was like, ouch, 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 ouch. <laughs> I have like no, I have no calluses whatsoever. Usually you can't get blood out of these fingers. Damn that F chord. Um, <laughs> but it won't take me long. I just have to just keep playing every day. Yeah, so. I hear you. But yeah, yeah, it got to a point where even when I was finished with all my surgeries, I couldn't put my guitar on my leg. I couldn't sit it on my leg. It was right where everything was sort of trying to heal. And I couldn't stand up because I wasn't strong enough to stand up. So I just, I, I really haven't played a lot of guitar in a long time. And I'm really anxious to get back to it. I really miss playing my guitars. And I miss music. So I'm glad I'm, you know, I'm still hungry. <laughs> yep, you got to stay hungry. I agree. It's like, uh, I was reading that... Um... Toby Keith was talking with Clint Eastwood. Did you read that about uh, the song for the the mule? Uh, um, I'm sorry. 
the song that Toby Keith wrote for, for Clint, Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's movie, The Mule. He was talking to Clint, and he says, you know, you're 88 years old, and you, uh, you know, you direct, you're still acting. And he says, how do you do it? Where do you get the energy? And Clint said, I don't let the old man in. And he wrote a song called Don't Let the Old Man In. Oh, that's great. And I, I love that. that. I haven't heard it. Very inspiring. I, I, I'm not a big fan of Toby Keith, but I have to admit, he is a good songwriter. Oh, he's a great songwriter. I, I actually like him. I do. Uh, I, I like a couple of his songs. As a matter of fact, I have. I actually bought one of his songs, which shocked the crap out of me, because I don't really like that much country. No, not really. Hold on. Well, I like the song, I Love This my... Bar. I think that's a great song. And I, I don't know. I wrote a parody to it called I Love This Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I have a, uh, the song that I love is Whiskey Girl, and I also love Sweet. Oh, okay. They're both good songs. Those two songs, yeah. Anyway, let's see. Where are we? I want to just, uh, anything you want to add? Something you, I didn't ask or you want to talk about? I can't think of anything. Um, I'm looking to get a team of people together that will help me film a, a cool story music video for One Kind Word. So if you've got talents in that department and you're really professional and really good, you're welcome to contact me. Otherwise, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> then I so, will uh, um, let you get back to your life and unpacking boxes and finding your music stuff, and I'm going to go rescue my dog from up the street. Well, you are doing a great job at, and um, get, having a podcast and doing your thing, and I'll promote it, and whether I'm on it or not. And I just, I we miss you out here, and I, you know, I don't know that I ever get to where you are in in Pennsylvania, but. Um, I'll definitely be on the East Coast soon, so I hope that um, at some point our paths meet. You have to come out and visit. All right. I will. <laughs> I have a cousin in Philadelphia. I should at least go see her. Oh, so. there you go. All right, Lisa. Thanks. Have a great day. Happy Monday. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. That was part one of my conversation with Lisa Nemzo. Nice, huh? Um... As I said at the beginning of this episode, for a recap, go to the show notes page at talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash lisa-nemzo, where you'll also find links to photos, videos, and other artists and resources mentioned during the course of our conversation. If you want to join the conversation, please add comments to the page below the show notes or visit the Tales of the Road Warriors Facebook group and post your thoughts and comments there. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash Tales Warriors, which is all one word, T-A-L-E-S-W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S. And let me know what you want me to ask people. Uh, who, do you want, who do you want me to talk to? Give me uh, some requests and I'll, I'll dial them up. Oh, and I have to give a shout out right here to my man, Zach Geffen, uh, from the the podcast talking about Israel and stuff. Hey, Zach. Hey, Mikey. Uh, I used uh, his uh, music in this uh, episode, the uh, little incidental between the end of the conversation and the end of the podcast. So uh, 
I love that little guitar harmonica thing you did, so I used it. All right, I'm going for a drive. Yeah, I'm going for a drive. 